Welcome to the International Trade Minute Quickfire Trade News, where time is trade. We are your go-to podcast for rapid and concise updates on trade and law, designed specifically for busy trade professionals. Sponsored by Rydell Law Firm and prepared by seasoned trade attorneys, our twice-weekly podcast packages your essential trade updates, all in the time it takes to enjoy your coffee break. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And join the conversation with a network of like-minded professionals on LinkedIn. Where time is trade, make every minute count. In today's episode, we're delving deep into the rapidly shifting dynamics of global trade. Here's a quick rundown of today's headlines. ITC's cellular showdown, Chinese export caution, CBP's machine versus non-machine ruling, China's graphite grip and crypto and AMP sanctions. Let's get started. Today on our first story, we're diving into a potentially heated battle at the International Trade Commission, or ITC. The ticking clock? Comments are due October 25th regarding a possible Section 337 investigation. Let's get into it. If you're not familiar with Section 337, it addresses unfair trade practices involving imported products. And the current spotlight? It's on imported 5G-capable mobile phones and components. Ericsson has thrown down the gauntlet. On October 11th, the company filed a complaint alleging that both Motorola and Lenovo are importing 5G phones that trample on not one, but four of Ericsson's patents. These patents revolve around essential cellular technologies like protecting privacy and wireless networks and uplink-downlink controls. But the backstory here is equally compelling. According to Ericsson, this isn't just about patent infringement. It's a tale of over a decade of negotiations gone sour. Ericsson points fingers at Lenovo for what they term bad faith licensing negotiations. Essentially, they're saying that Lenovo's been playing hardball for a long time, and it gets even more intricate. Ericsson claims they've been flexible, even offering a FRAND commitment that's fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory for those not in the know. However, there's a catch. Ericsson wants a reciprocal license from Lenovo in return. Yet, Lenovo's counter seems to be a tough pill for Ericsson to swallow. They're pushing for an unreasonably low rate for Ericsson's patents. And all of this in exchange for a cross-license under Lenovo's essential cellular patents. So, with comments due at the ITC today, the stage is set. If the ITC moves forward with this investigation and Ericsson comes out on top, we could see some major disruptions in the 5G mobile market, especially for brands like Motorola and Lenovo. This is not just about two tech giants clashing over patents. It's about the very gears that keep our cellular world turning and the possible tremors in the 5G landscape. Up next, we are looking into the complex world of export controls and how they're impacting logistics companies, particularly in China. Earlier this month, the U.S. Commerce Department made a significant move by adding several Chinese logistics firms to its entity list. Why? They were found involved in exporting microelectronics to Russia, and that's a significant move indeed. It underscores a crucial point. Many logistics and freight forwarding companies, especially those based in China, have certain misconceptions about their compliance responsibilities. They believe that since they might not have complete details about the goods they transport, their compliance risks are minimal. It's a risky assumption. Not conducting thorough due diligence or neglecting to investigate any suspicious signs can lead to breaches of the Export Administration regulations. So what should these companies be on the lookout for? Some red flags include abnormal transportation routes, mismatched packaging for the shipping method, uncertain delivery dates, and goods incompatible with the technical level of the destination country. For instance, if semiconductor manufacturing equipment is being sent to a country without a significant electronics industry, that's a major red flag. 
And don't forget about the small bakery ordering multiple cutting edge lasers scenario. If the performance of a product doesn't align with the buyer's business, like that bakery ordering lasers, it's a cause for concern. Also, companies should be cautious of clients who won't provide clear details about the end use or end users. If a client has little to no business background or seems evasive about product use, that's another warning sign. It sounds like it's about keeping your eyes wide open and asking the right questions. Legal experts are advising logistics companies to thoroughly vet their customers. This involves inquiring about their cargo, any licensing needs, and even countries that are part of the transactions. Establishing a robust export control compliance system is not just a recommendation, it's a necessity. Regular reviews of customers, suppliers, transportation operations, and more can significantly reduce compliance risks. And let's not forget about the importance of regular compliance training for employees to ensure everyone is on the same page. To wrap things up, it's a complex and changing landscape out there for logistics firms, especially in China. Staying informed, alert, and compliant is more crucial than ever. On to our next segment is a complex but important one for the world of trade classification. It's all about platinum bushings used in basalt fiber production and how they're classified by the harmonized tariff schedule. The question at hand is, are these platinum bushings considered machines? A recent ruling from the CBP headquarters tells us they are not. This was a response to Mafic USA's protest, who argued otherwise. Mafic USA insisted that these bushings should be classified under the HTS heading 8,479. This heading is for machines and mechanical appliances having individual functions that aren't specified elsewhere in that chapter. But the CBP begs to differ. They've previously classified these bushings under heading 7,115, which translates to other articles of precious metal or of metal clad with precious metal. It sounds technical, but to simplify, the bushings are essentially blocks made of precious metals, platinum and rhodium, with numerous holes. These holes allow for basalt lava to flow through, eventually turning it into filaments. Mafic USA's argument was that these bushings are a part of a bigger apparatus known as the bushing well module. This module contains electrical components and is believed by Mafic to carry out the process of converting basalt lava into fiber via extrusion. But CBP's counter-argument is that neither the bushing nor the bushing well module perform any mechanical function. They're both static during the process. The bushing well doesn't push or pull the lava through the holes. Instead, it merely acts as a channel, letting the lava flow from the furnace to another apparatus called the winder. CBP stressed that for something to be classified as a machine, it needs to have a combination of mechanical parts that operate upon material, transforming it in a specific predetermined way. The bushing well, they argue, doesn't fit this definition. Mafic tried to argue that the process is similar to other extrusion machines. However, CBP made it clear, similarity in process doesn't make it a machine. Without any mechanical functions, the bushing well can't be classified as one. Now, since these bushings couldn't be classified under Chapter 84 as Mafic hoped, CBP proceeded to classify them under Chapter 71. This chapter is for items made entirely or partly of precious metal, but not considered jewelry or wares. Since the bushings are described as blocks of platinum rhodium, they're classified under subheading 7115, 90, 60, which basically means, in layman's terms, other articles of precious metal or of metal clad with precious metal. This might sound like a lot of legal and technical jargon, but it's crucial for determining trade tariffs and regulations. Classification matters and can have big financial implications. 
Next story, we're diving into a development that has the potential to send shockwaves through the electric vehicle sector and beyond. China, the world's top graphite exporter, has just announced new export controls on select graphite products. On October 20th, China's Ministry of Commerce made public that companies will now need to secure export licenses for specific graphite materials. These aren't just any materials. We're talking high-purity, high-strength artificial graphite, and natural flake graphite products. And if you're in the EV or tech world, you know just how crucial these elements are. Graphite is a key component in the production of batteries for electric vehicles. And with the rapid growth in EV demand, any restrictions on graphite supply could have significant ramifications for the industry. What's interesting, though, is the process these exporters now have to follow. They'll need to submit the original export contract, provide a technical description of the goods, end-user certifications, among other requirements. Now, this isn't just a simple paperwork procedure. It's a rigorous process, and China has warned of administrative penalties for any violators, and that's not all. They could even be held criminally liable. Indeed, it's a strong move. But China maintains that these export controls align with common international practice to maintain the security and stability of the global supply chain. They've framed this decision as a measure to protect national security and have already informed relevant countries and regions about the impending restrictions. This isn't an isolated move. Let's rewind a bit. Remember, just two months ago, China initiated new export controls on gallium and germanium, both critical minerals essential for making semiconductors and other tech products. This makes you wonder about the broader implications, doesn't it? What does this mean for international trade, the electric vehicle market, and even the broader tech industry, especially with these new controls set to take effect on December 1st, a date to mark on our calendars. As always, we'll keep our ears to the ground and bring you the latest updates on this developing story. Last story, but surely not the least, we're diving into the recent sanctions rolled out by the Office of Foreign Assets Control, or OFAC. It's all about a strategic move to counteract terrorist financing in the Middle East, The OFAC took significant action this week against the terror group Hamas, aiming to root out its revenue sources in the West Bank, Gaza, and beyond. And these sanctions are building on an already extensive list of almost 1,000 people and entities previously sanctioned by the agency, all tied to terrorism and terrorist financing activities linked to the Iranian regime and its proxies. Included in the recent sanctions are Hamas members and financiers like Musa Mohammed Salim Dudin, based in the West Bank, and Sudan-based Abdelbasit Hamza El Hassan Mohammed Khair. The list also names several individuals connected to Hamas's investment network in places like Turkey and Algeria. And there's more. We're also looking at the sanctioning of Qatar-based Hamas operative Mohammed Ahmad Abd al-Dayim Nasrallah and Ayman Nofal, a military commander who was reportedly killed in an airstrike this week. But here's where it gets particularly interesting for our finance aficionados. OFAC has also designated a Gaza-based virtual currency exchange named Buy Cash Money and Money Transfer Company and its operator, Ahmed M.M. Alakad. This move comes in response to allegations that the platform facilitated Hamas's fundraising initiatives and played a role in transferring funds for other terror groups. It's a digital age, and cryptocurrency is becoming a frontier for these operations. Just earlier, there were indications from a former OFAC official about possible sanctions on cryptocurrency services linked to Hamas. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen weighed in on this, underscoring the U as Treasury's commitment. 
She mentioned, and I quote, the U.S. Treasury has a long history of effectively disrupting terror finance, and we will not hesitate to use our tools against Hamas, end quote. Yellen further added that they will take all necessary steps to prevent Hamas from raising and utilizing funds for terror activities. It's a clear message to those involved in financing terrorism. The U. S. is watching and will act decisively. Thank you for joining us on International Trade Minute, your rapid source of trade updates for busy trade professionals, And we hope to have you back for our next episode. Don't forget to subscribe.